For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Real Talk with Zuby is sponsored by Gumroad.com. Gumroad is a platform that makes it really, really easy for creators of all kinds to sell their products, both digital and physical. It's what I've been using for my latest book, Strong Advice, Zuby's Guide to Fitness for Everybody. Gumroad makes it really quick, seamless, intuitive, and easy to sell whatever it is that you want. You can get started in just a few minutes by going to gumroad.com, signing up as a creator, and setting up your product. Did I mention that it's free to use? It makes it really quick and easy for you to set up and sell your products and get paid every single week, and it also makes it really easy for buyers to pay you with credit card, debit card, PayPal, various payment methods. It works well on mobile as well as on desktop. So I highly recommend you go check them out, whether you are an artist, a podcaster, a creator, a musician, whatever it is that you do, check out gumroad.com, that is G-U-M-R-O-A-D.com, and get started today, gumroad.com. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on a filmmaker, and his name is Brendan Murata. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. So I've given a very basic description of who you are and what you do there, but why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself? Sure. So I made a documentary called American Circumcision, which is about the modern debate around circumcision and the growing movement that believes that all men should have the right to make their own choices about their bodies. Uh, And the film is out now on Netflix, Amazon, and Vimeo. And anything you'd ever want to know about that subject, I've probably interviewed someone about it. So I think it's a subject that a lot of people... Uh, don't they don't realize how big an issue it is. You know, if I told you that there was another issue that affected every man in America, every partner of a man, every parent and child and family, you'd think like, oh, wow, this must be really important and a thing that lots of people are talking about all the time. But it's because it intersects with all of our taboos of, you know, sex and politics and religion and how we treat children, it kind of gets pushed out of the mainstream but mm-hmm. uh that is that is the focus of my last film and probably what we'll end up talking about yeah absolutely man so before we get into that tell us a little bit more about your life story and journey that has led you up to the point where you are now sure uh so i wanted to make films since i was 14 when i was that age i saw a film critic go through the original star wars shot by shot and start talking about like the spiritual themes in it and the Joseph Campbell heroes myth. And I've always been interested in larger questions. And that was like the first time it clicked for me. Oh, you could use film to talk about ideas. Mm. And so I went up to him afterward and said like, I want to learn how to make things like that. Like how would I do it? He said, well, we should probably 
read some about film theory and practice. And so that's what I did. And then I made like 50 projects in high school and then I went to film school and then I worked professionally. And um, then the subject matter for this documentary sort of entered my reality. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't something that I thought I would do. I originally was doing a lot of like low budget horror and sort of escapist type stuff. And I, mm-hmm. I, the next project I want to do is kind of in that genre. So I might go back to it. Um, but it wasn't really a focus. And, and I think like a lot of people in America, I, it wasn't something I thought about. And actually, one thing I wanted to ask you, because I know your background's really unique, that you grew up in Saudi Arabia and then moved to the UK and mm-hmm. now you're touring in America. I'm curious how much you were aware of even this issue in America as a thing that um, is really common here. Because, you know, part of the challenge of talking about this issue is that sometimes I'll I'll get up in front of a group and there's like one person there who's, you know, Orthodox Jewish and to Mm -hmm. even question circumcision, like that feels to him like a really dangerous thing to do and, and threatening. And then there's someone else there from a culture where they don't practice it and he, the person doesn't even know what circumcision is. And they're like, wait, you do what? Like, that's crazy. Mm. Mm. So I'm, I'm curious, like, how much do you, do you know about this ahead of time? Or what is it you knew about it growing up? Yeah, sure. So I, I know a lot about it because every culture that I am, well, two out of three of them anyway, that I've primarily been exposed to as somebody who is a British Nigerian who grew up in Saudi Arabia and also has a lot of exposure to America as well. Um, in three out of the, in three out of four of those in the culture, it's, um, absolutely the norm. Hmm. And so the only exception to that would be the UK. So it's something that is, um, done in the UK, but I think in America, it's the norm. I think it's sort of the default in America is what I understand. Whereas in the UK it's practiced, but it's not the default. Um, and the same goes for the rest of Europe. However, in um, southern Nigeria, where my family is originally from, in the Igbo culture, which is where my family is from, it is um, absolutely practiced, both for religious and cultural reasons. In Saudi Arabia, I believe it's the norm there. Um, In Islam in general, amongst Muslims, I do believe that that's their norm as well. And then also in America, I'm not sure exactly. I don't know all of the the history of it. I'm sure you can explain some of that. But my understanding just off of what I know of, um, I'm sure I saw some statistics about it and, and stuff a while back. I've got, I've got a pretty good understanding and some varying cultural perspectives around that. So that's my cool. own uh, position. Uh, you probably went into this with more understanding than I did when I first discovered the subject matter. Because okay. when in, in America, because it is done to newborns, most people don't think about it. Mm-hmm. And in Islamic cultures, I know it's often done as a coming of age ceremony. So it's done with the, when the boy is older. So there's at least some conscious awareness of it. Whereas in America, you know, unless you can somehow see a picture of yourself or something from when you're one day old, you, you're, you don't really have any physical experience with what, the intact body is like. Mm-hmm. And so I think like a lot of Americans, I didn't think about it when I, you know, initially. Um, and when I did run across it in things I was reading, cause I was really interested in healing work and the idea that 
early life experiences impact us later on. So, you know, at the time when I discovered this, I was doing a lot of internal work around things like that. And when I run across circumcision, I think like, that's just really uncomfortable. And, you know, there's nothing I could do about that now. Like I, this happened to me. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, I grew up in America and like most people, men in America born in the late eighties, it was just sort of what, what people did. So, you know, all the other aspects of my life was like, well, you know, like I can change my mindset and my way of thinking. I can change my body and do other types of physical work around things like diet and exercise. And, uh, I can change my beliefs, but this is not something I could really change. So, so well, I'll just like push that out of my mind and not think about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was practicing meditation. So in meditation, you're just present with whatever thoughts come up and, and during meditation, this entered my mind. I literally just had the word circumcision come into my mind during meditation and felt this really uncomfortable sensation in the body. I was like, okay, some part of my consciousness wants me to look at this. Um, And that was, that was the impetus for doing the research that eventually became the film. Okay. So when I started doing the research, there was, there were a whole bunch of things that um, basically I'd been taught culturally that turned out not to be true. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, I mean, there's, there's, I'm, I'm, there's a million places I could go from there, depending on what you're interested in. Cause I, there's, you know, obviously a whole two hour movie of research that, that came out of that. Um, yeah. I haven't seen the movie yet, but I, I certainly will. So tell me more about, I guess you said that you were meditating and something about it popped into your head and that made you feel uncomfortable. Can you kind of talk around that a little bit more? I'm not sure I totally understand that. So this is one of the ways that I frame it. There is one of the things that I learned when I started researching was that the procedure in America was often done without anesthesia because doctors believed that infants did not feel pain. So that you could just basically, I mean, they would do like open heart surgery on infants with no anesthesia. And as you can imagine. Sorry, what, what time frame is this in? Or is this, this is like up until, I, I mean, the, the, the Tadio studies on pain weren't done to, published until 1997. Oh, wow. So this is until really recent. Um, the studies showing infants feel pain, I think, were the late 80s. That's, that but, seems strange. I mean, I would have thought even without doing any specific research that would be pretty obvious and well you would think from a common sense perspective yeah. like if you have a baby in your life it feels pain yeah right? of course like yeah that's everyone what I mean. knows that anecdotally yeah but doctors basically said well we don't have any peer-reviewed research to show that they feel pain so we can't oh. prove that so they must not right i mean if and you, you like- can't put a you can't put an infant under full anesthesia mm-hmm. and so there's a uh you know surgery problem there and i think that that myth it's difficult to to pinpoint because a lot of cultures throughout throughout history have minimized the experiences of children and infants because they're not able to protest or verbally express how they're feeling agreed uh but i think that that myth began in the when hospital birth began because in the early stages of hospital birth they would put the woman under full anesthesia to give birth so she would basically go to sleep and wake up and have given birth. And that was, you know, later discovered to be horribly traumatic for everyone involved and not 
a healthy way to give birth. Mm. But if you put the mother under full anesthesia, then that full anesthesia goes into the baby. Mm-hmm. So that is part of the reason I think that they thought that because when the baby would come out, it'd be under full anesthesia. Now, if you read the medical literature from that time, they say, oh, just perform a circumcision. That child will wake right up, right? So mm-hmm. I, I don't know how much of it was ignorance and how much of it was a com- just a disregard for the feelings of someone who can't speak up because doctors are in a position of power and a newborn infant is the least powerful person in the world. You know, yeah. it's the most dependent relationship. It's the most defenseless. Mm. So... I have a question. I do have a question because it's sure. it's burning in my mind right now. Go for um, it. Are you pro life? I am mixed on that issue. I'm I'm in the horrible position of being able to see both perspectives, mm-hmm. and it's not. I tend to avoid other issues and talking about them because I know people. I, I don't want someone to feel like that they can't have a conversation about this issue, which is mm-hmm. the one that I've chosen to do my work on because of my feelings on some other issue. And I know activists involved on circumcision who are pro-life and I know some who are pro-choice. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess, I guess the reason I'm asking is because as someone who can see both sides, um, you know, full disclosure, I'm, I'm absolutely very, very, very strongly pro-life. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure from someone of my perspective, you could understand uh, very glaring hypocrisy amongst somebody, some, you know, and, and any person who would say, you know, because well, what you were just saying about a newborn being the most defenseless person and that being the most dependent relationship, I, I, would, yeah. I would say. There's an even on, more defenseless I would, I would person. Say, I would say a preborn <laughs> is the, so I, I've, I mean, I've come across people who, yeah, their their position their position on these two issues strikes me as a, a very glaring hypocrisy in terms of okay, yeah. well, you can kill that baby, but you can't trim off a little bit of their right. genitalia. So yep. I've never really squared that one in my yeah. mind. I'm ha- I'm happy to I'm happy to talk about it, but I just wanted to bring that up because that's was kind of just at the top of my brain right there. I see what you mean. And, and it's a lot of the time I've heard people bring up the issue of abortion in the context of this. Mm. Um, and it's interesting because depending on who I talk to, they'll, they'll say, well, if you're against circumcision, you absolutely have to be pro-life. And then others will say, well, if you're against circumcision, you absolutely have to be pro-choice. Mm. Um, the, the, cause the, and the challenge is that that debate is over is, is that that unborn fetus or child, is it a person or not? And, and, and everyone agrees that once a child is born and the parents have chosen to raise that child, it's a person. Mm-hmm. So to me, I, that issue of circumcision should make sense regardless of your perspective on abortion. And I will say one of the places I'm speaking later this year mm-hmm. is uh, an event called the Association for Pre and Perinatal Psychology. And, and their research uh, and the research a lot of their members shows that f- events in the womb actually affect people's psychology later in life. So oh, if yeah, you had like a vanished twin or a difficult pregnancy, like that'll affect your psychology later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there's the, the, the place where I s- sometimes waver on it is I just, I, I don't like the idea of a, um, 
a, a child in a home where they're they're not loved and taken care of. But I don't know that that's a great solution to that either. Mm. So, but that's a whole other topic. Yeah, man. I'm not I'm not trying to I'm not trying to derail the conversation. I just think it's um I think it's worth bringing up because I there you know I wouldn't bring that into a random conversation necessarily. No, I hear you because they're to me they're very 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 interconnected in terms of the ideas and the morality and the idea of body integrity all 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 of these things to me they're all together even even from a cultural perspective like i'd find it strange that one of the things i do find weird in modern western society is that ability to i mean just logically and scientifically the idea of a baby not being a person until they're born. I mean, that makes no, it makes no biological, nor rational sense. That's just saying like the geography is what determines whether or not a person is a person, which there's no, you know, it, so I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to drag the conversation into the, into the mud here. Um, it's just one of those things I've always been like, hmm, that doesn't yeah. make sense. Why does the framing change in each of those arguments for people? You know, I think culturally, a lot of people don't even perceive children as full people until they're speaking. It's like, if I can't, the, the perception I think culturally is that if, if someone, if you can't understand someone from your perspective, that mm -hmm. there must be nothing to understand. Um, and in reality, children are learning and thinking and growing even before they can speak. And there are events in the womb that will affect someone later in life. Mm -hmm. Um, you can even do surgeries in the womb. Oh, that's interesting. I, that makes sense. I, I haven't looked into that. Okay. Yeah. Um, but what, what, you know, originally we got on this cause you were asking about the experience that brought me yeah, to yeah, this yeah. issue. Yeah. Go, go ahead, man. Don't let me so, take the conversation away. One of the things that I've heard from a lot of people in the movement is that they have had experiences where some piece of the trauma of circumcision surfaces later in life. And there's a, there's a great book, I think it's called The Body Keeps Score. Mm -hmm. um, or there's an, I think there might be another one called The Body Remembers. And, and it's basically the idea that pre-verbal memories or pre-verbal experiences, things that happen before you're at the age where you're speaking, so it could be infancy, it could be earlier, um, actually, you, you may not remember them consciously. You may not have a narrative memory about them the same way that you could tell me about what you did yesterday or how your show went or whatever happened. But you're, you do have a pre-verbal memory, a memory in the body, a sensation that stays with you. Mm. And, and it's very similar to the kind of memory and thinking that animals have. So if you come home, your dog is happy to see you. Now, you couldn't have a conversation with your dog. Your dog couldn't explain to you, uh, you know, the, the intricacies of how it sees the world. But it knows it has an association in the, in the body between you and, and some kind of happiness or happy to see you, like mm -hmm. the energy that comes from that dog. And similarly, uh, you know, if you were to beat your dog and, it would, and you were to reach for the thing that you beat it with, it would flinch and it would mm. be nervous to see you. And, and if someone were to, you know, beat their dog and say, well, he, can't, he won't remember it, he can't articulate his feelings, you'd think that person was a monster. Yet when we treat children the same way, you know, people will accept the argument. So, well, the child can't remember it and can't talk about it, so it must be fine. Um, and, of course, the experiences of everyone who has ever experienced any kind of early life childhood abuse or even, you know, feelings of abandonment, like things like adoption. There's 
people who, who have, you know, have issues or feelings of abandonment around that. Um, that stuff affects people later in life. So for me, you know, when, when I was reading about this issue, I, I sort of tried to repress it and I thought like, well, that's, that's weird. And that makes me uncomfortable. I'm just going to push that away. Mm-hmm. And, um, when I was present with my body and present with what was just what was there, not trying to achieve any particular esteem, I was just sitting, staring at a wall, not focusing on anything. Mm. Um, those sensations started to arise. So it was like a very cold sensation in, in the body. And um, I literally felt all my energy drain down to my belt. And then just the word circumcision come in, came into my mind. And it happened okay. multiple times during this meditation. Mm. And I know for a lot of people, that probably sounds really weird, right? Like, this guy's crazy. Like, what is he talking about? <laughs> I don't think it's crazy. I, I, I'd be curious to know how, um, how common that is. I'd, I'd imagine it's a very, a pretty rare thing. I don't know if there's um, any... It's not common, but it's also not unique. Okay. So among people who have done any kind of healing work or inner work, I've heard a lot of similar stories. And, and, and among therapists who do something called rebirthing, it's really common for stuff like this to come up. Um, and it's interesting because I've seen video of that where, you know, people when they go through like a experience of a type of therapy where you basically relive your birth, they'll make the exact same faces that infants make during birth, even if they've never seen that experience. Interesting. Uh, I've, and, never, and, I've never heard of rebirthing. That sounds, yeah. uh, that sounds curious and bizarre, but interesting. It's, oh, it's a whole interesting, yeah. <laughs> whole thing, you know, go down if you're interested. Uh, and, and I, sometimes I hesitate to talk about this because the argument around circumcision, like you don't have to accept anything that I'm saying in order to accept the idea that people should be able to, you know, make choices about their own bodies. Right. Yeah, sure. I'm, like, I'm, I'm just listening, man. I'm just listening. Or, I'm curious. Um, you know, and, and, and I know for a lot of people, there's even people involved in the attack of this movement for whom this aspect is like, they're just like, I don't believe that. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. But they accept the research around sexuality and they accept the idea that like, maybe you shouldn't hold down a baby and chop part of his body off. Like, mm. Uh, that, that is, uh, something that I talk about because from my own personal experience, I, I feel like I've gotten a lot out of doing healing work like that. And that's like been very profound for me. So if you're curious about my personal story that comes up, but if you're just looking at the issue, I don't always necessarily talk about that. I got you, man. So in terms of doing the research for the movie, so this sounds like that was the spark that created it that own personal that was the spark but experience for you so yeah man so what what led you to think okay you know what this is an issue that i feel so strongly about that i want to raise awareness for and i want to proceed and do all this research and go through this whole process of um doing everything you have to do to make a full-length documentary about it so i had what one of my interview subjects calls the obsessive epiphany Mm. which I think that you and most people in your audience have probably had this around a issue, if not this issue. Um, In a lot of conservative circles, it's referred to as, you know, becoming red pilled about an issue. Mm -hmm. It's that moment where you like start seeing it and doing your own research rather than seeing it through the lens your culture has presented to you. Mm -hmm. So I had that thing where I, you know, ordered every book on Amazon and watched every YouTube video and, uh, listen to every podcast, everything that I could to research it. And part of the reason I was doing that was I was trying to process and make sense of it through my own feelings. 
And I was discovering that a lot of the things that I had been told were not accurate. What sort of things were those? So, you know, there's the statement, it's just a little snip. In reality, it's a 15 minute long procedure that removes about half the shaft skin of the penis. Um, the idea that it doesn't affect sexuality, it really dramatically affects sexuality. There's also the idea that you can't do anything about it. And there's a whole community of people doing something called foreskin restoration, where they mm -hmm. try to uh, basically stretch the remaining skin. So there's a covering of that part of the body. And they report that that dramatically improves sex and sensation. Uh, there's the idea that it's normal when in reality, much of the world doesn't practice it. And America is the only country that really routinely does it for, for non-religious reasons in infancy. So like you mentioned in Saudi Arabia and, in, uh, parts of Africa, it's done for cultural and religious reasons mm -hmm. and their tradition around it is completely different. In fact, there's, there's one researcher I know who was talking to, um, an, an African man who in his culture practiced both male and female circumcision. Okay. Yeah. And, and he said, you know, I don't know why you Americans do it to a child or an infant when the pain has no meaning because in his culture, it was a coming of age thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he had to be incredibly stoic and not flinch when someone did this to him. And for him, that had like great symbolism of him as being a man in his culture that he could sure. do this, right? Um, whereas there's no pain or there's no, there's no meaning for a child that it's just pain, right? Yeah. My, my understanding is that the American background for it was more um, rightly or wrongly perceived potential medical benefits. That's what I understand because i know that there's used to be a lot of thinking about it being um cleaner or reducing the risk of certain diseases and whatnot as far as i'm aware a lot of those things have proven not to really be the case but i think you can correct me i think that's sort of the history of it in america is that right so that's the mid portion of the history okay uh and and the medical the purported medical benefits have changed over time so okay. when it first started started during the victorian era as a medical practice and this proposed medical benefit was preventing masturbation so the Victorians okay yeah thought, you know this is a great ill i mean people joke about you know masturbation it'll make you blind or you know, <laughs> Like it, put it hair does, on your palms. Those guys don't do it. But but those were real beliefs in the Victorian era. Like there's a place, those a historical place, those jokes come from. Sure. Um, and in the film, you know, one of the things that I'm really glad gets a laugh is we show some of the anti-masturbation propaganda from the Victorian era of this, you know, horrible person. This his face slowly turns green from <laughs> his horrible skin. Uh, that would be so funny if that like, happened. That was the proposed, you know, and so they thought, well, if we just remove the most sensitive part of a man's body, then we can solve this great ill. And, and, and some of the, even the ideas around like it being cleaner come from the idea of being morally clean, that mm -hmm. like there's an association between being uh, morally unclean and physically unclean. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, uh, that belief is not one that the medical community still holds to today. But over time, the, the purported benefits changed. And so you know, the joke I've heard is that circumcision is a remedy in, in, in search of a disease. So it's like, well, we're still doing this and it's happened to everyone. So there must be a reason, right? Yeah. 
and interestingly, in the early advertising of circumcision, it was said to reduce sexual sensation as a benefit, right? Because they saw sexual pleasure as somehow bad. Mm. And then after the sexual revolution in the 60s and 70s, that belief just kind of went away. And now they'll claim that it has no effect on sexuality because that's no longer good advertising. Mm. Um, and so then later it became, well, it'll prevent, uh, you know, urinary tract infections or STDs, or now the big ones, HIV, they'll say, reduces the risk of HIV. Um, and of course, you can still get all of those things regardless of whether or not this has happened to you. And, and part of the challenge is, you know, I can go really deep on the research of all of those. Like in the, the first edit of the film, the sequence on uh, HIV alone was an hour. And like, we can go really deep on the data, but it all sort of sidesteps the question of, you know, do you even have the right to do this to someone? Mm. So like, if you think it has a lot of benefits, then like you can go out and get circumcised. No one's stopping you. Mm -hmm. But the question is, is it okay to do that to a child? You know, we, you could prevent uh, all uh, breast cancer if mm -hmm. you just remove women's breasts when they were infants. But like mm -hmm. if someone proposed that, you would think like that's really weird and someone should probably make sure that crazy doesn't do anything. Uh, yeah. I mean, I but, think for a lot of people, it's the it's the scale. It's the scale of it and the actual physical harm or damage done or or lack thereof that makes things like that, even compared to uh, what people would call, you know, FGM or female, female right. circumcision. I think the reason, part of the reason why that gets, you know, a, a male can be circumcised and that, that will have no, almost no real impact on them in 99.9% .9 of cases in terms of their fertility or their health or their well-being or their general happiness relationships anything like that whereas my understanding with something like fgm is that it's uh the the actual result of it is a lot more damaging and distressing in far more cases that's my understanding of it with bigger things i think it's that okay you can clearly see the that that's going to then negatively impact them forever in almost all cases. Whereas I think with circumcision to a lot of people, including myself, to be honest, it's like, well, it's, it's such a minor thing that. Right. Yeah. That's the perception is that the part removed has no value and that no harm is done by removing it. Yeah. And, and there's also a sort of a cultural bias in that perception. Cause you know, if you propose like removing a child's earlobe, mm -hmm. like even that would make people a little uncomfortable but which has more function, the earlobe or the genitals, right? Mm. Um, and even the, the comparison to FGM, the, the American perception or the, the Western cultural perception of that is that male circumcision is basically harmless mm -hmm. and that female circumcision is a huge human rights violation that will destroy a woman's life and Certainly any perception. chance of pleasure. And I don't think the research shows that. Okay. And, and the, the circumcised women that I've interviewed don't have that perspective either. Okay, that's so interesting. Part of the challenge is if we're talking about the, the human rights or the emotional impact, it's the same in both cases. You know, it's not like if I was to, uh, you know, 
chop off this much of someone's finger, it would be not a human rights violation. But if you take the whole finger, it is like the moment you touch someone else's body without their consent, mm. you're violating their rights in some way. Yeah. See, and then this, this, I, I, I can't stop coming back to the uh, to how close this is to me to the pro-life issue. I, I really can't like because every argument you're making, I'm like, these are depending on the framing. You, you've, of course, got the two different framings here. Um, and this is that, that's literally just how I feel about the topic of abortion, because and in that case, you're not you know, where you're not talking about something mod, you're talking about taking the life. Right. So that's that, that's why I'm always like, wait, how can how can these two thoughts be in one head at the same time? How could circumcision be considered a massive human rights violation of the baby, but killing the baby is not like I've, I've never I'm, I'm trying to I'm myself. I'm trying to like I consider myself someone with a lot of degree of empathy and ability to see things from two sides. But that's what that's one thing I've, I'm like, I can't I just can't square those things. I, I can't square them. It's interesting, too, because the opposition framing is similar. You know, the opposition framing on both is, well, what do you mean? It's just a clump of cells. Yeah, but it's... It has it's, no value. Yeah, but that, that's, that's dishonest. That's a dishonest position. And it's, it's scientifically and medically incorrect, especially if you're talking about, you know, second or third trimester. There's absolutely no way that that, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I have the same perspective about the male body. If you look mm. at the research, the most nerve endings on a man's body are in the foreskin and in the ridge mm. band of the foreskin. Yeah. And that it absolutely would have an impact on, on sexuality that is comparable yeah. to the parts removed on a woman during okay. chemo. You know, like I, I can understand, I can totally understand that, that perspective and that position of, you know, you've got, you've got a baby and that you shouldn't do anything to that baby that's not totally medically necessary without their consent and they're not able to consent just like you wouldn't tattoo them or you wouldn't give them. So I can, I can understand. I can totally understand that. Yeah. I, I, what I don't understand is if someone would feel that way, but 10 minutes prior to that baby being born, they're saying, Oh, well you can kill him. And I'm like, well, wait, what about everything you were just saying? Why would that not apply to their own life? Which is, far more important in the yeah. scheme of things than something that may, you know, a little bit of foreskin. That's, that's my, that's always been my, always been my position on it. So I, I can get the different sides. And then as someone who's from a culture, you know, being both a Christian and then someone who's an Igbo Nigerian, uh, I can also understand the cultural perspectives, which are not, uh, that that's removed from the sort of medical argument and the sort of benefits and things like that. Like I can see, I can both see how from, from an outside perspective, from a place where they don't do that, you'd be like, hey, why are they doing that? But then also from those perspectives, or if you're talking about Jewish people and things like that, it's like, well, that's just a part of the culture. That's what they do. That's how they separate themselves from other populations and tribes and people and whatnot. So I'd like to think I can put myself into sort of those different mindsets. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. I, I appreciate that because part of the challenge of both of those issues is that they hit on a really identity level and they also point to values in conflict. Mm -hmm. and, and the interesting thing is like when people want to talk about circumcision, they often go just to the data. They're like, mm -hmm. well, what are the risks and the benefits? They don't look at the assumptions behind those. 
And then they also don't look at the values behind those. Mm -hmm. So part of the challenge of the abortion debate is that there's values in conflict. Mm -hmm. So valuing human life and children, like that is a huge value. And that's Mm -hmm. a value that everyone has. Valuing personal autonomy and Mm -hmm. people having the right to make their choices about their body. Mm -hmm. Also a good value. And I think think they see with me, the framing, my, my issue with the so-called pro-choice positions and arguments is that with any other issue, I would be totally agreeing with that. Uh, but when it comes to killing another human being, yeah, I, I can't be, you know, I, I, I just, I just can't be. If you're saying any, anything else, I'd be like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm with you. People can do what they want with their bodies. People can, if you want to go and tattoo a barcode on your forehead, I don't recommend it, but you can, you can do it. If you want to go and remove, you know, one of your limbs again, I I highly don't recommend it, but you know, technically legally, I'm like, whatever. But as soon as that involves harming or killing another person, then that's where I can't, that's why I can't be, I can't be pro-choice in the, in the abortion debate. Like the only way that I was ever able to be was when I kind of like you, I guess with this situation is when I just didn't, I didn't think about it. You know, Mm. I I was just kind of like, okay, well that's the law. So I'm going to assume the laws are correct. And then like you said, what was that term you used? You said you had an obsessive, um, obsessive epiphany, obsessive epiphany. I had that with the abortion situation Mm. and I researched it for days. I, I read about it. I, I watched a couple of the procedures, which I kind of wish I hadn't, but I'm glad I did. I looked at this thing and I was like, well, I can't, I can't support this, right? To support mm-hmm. this, I either have to pretend that this is not a human being, which is just logically, biologically, everything doesn't make sense, right? It's just, just doesn't make sense. Um, or I have to accept that, you know, sometimes it's okay to kill an innocent human being and I'm not comfortable with either of those positions at all. So I was like, wow, that's, that's really what made me become very staunchly pro-life. So just to use that as a parallel, I imagine that's kind of the same sort of process. Details matter. And at OZ Lifestyle Brands, they're all about the details. Their selection of men's accessories balance style with substance and quality and craftsmanship, showcasing both classic and casual designs. They also make shopping the easiest it's ever been for you while leaving plenty of change in your pocket for your next adventure. I highly recommend them. They've got some really dope wallets, watches, t-shirts, whole bunch of cool stuff there. If you're a man who's looking to style up their game without blowing the bank, I highly recommend OZ Lifestyle Brands. OZ Lifestyle Brands delivers a unique experience to elevate style for men with ultra discerning tastes. OZ is for men who found their calling but don't need to shout about it. So go check out their full range of products at ozlifestylebrands.com. That is ozlifestylebrands.com. To get 20% off your entire first order, just use the code ZUBIMUSIC at checkout for 20% off. That's ZUBIMUSIC at checkout for 20% off at ozlifestylebrands.com. Go check them out. Hmm. Kind of it's very similar to the stories I've heard from people, you know, even down to like watching the procedure as being a moment that's both very traumatizing and yeah. something that makes them think they need to take a stand on the issue. Yeah. So, I mean, to, to give you my own, I haven't really shared my own, I guess, personal opinion on this particular topic of circumcision. I mean, my, my view of it is that I, I totally understand and empathize with 
your perspective and also agree with it to the degree when you take it out of any kind of cultural framing, shall we say. So in a country like the US, um, like I said, it's very different from the UK and Europe as far as I'm aware. And the fact that it's something that's kind of just done by default. And I don't necessarily understand why people would do that for people who are from cultures and religions where that's just an important mandate or cultural idea. I kind of, how would I put it? I, I support it from that perspective. I don't necessarily support it from something that's just done arbitrarily by default. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Yeah. So your, your perspective is that it doesn't really make sense to do in the medical framing, but in a certain culture, there might be a a tradition or reason that they want to do it. Exactly. So I wouldn't go around trying to um, convince Jewish people or Muslim people or certain sects of Christianity or whatever that they shouldn't do that. But I'd also, if someone is not from one of those cultures or backgrounds, I'd wonder why they're doing it just right. kind of blindly without any of those considerations, if, if that makes sense. So I don't know if that's some kind of, I, I think that makes sense, but that, that's, always been my, that's always been my position on it. It's interesting because you're pointing out another values in conflict. So mm-hmm. I, I have a number of Jewish friends and a number of Jewish people I interview in the film who say, I didn't want this done to me. You know, mm. our parents had a particular belief system where they thought they had to do it, but that's not the choice I would have made for my body. Sure. And they would say, you know, I have, I have rights too. Like just cause my parents have a culture or religion that has a particular belief doesn't mean they can impose that in a permanent way on me. Mm. And it, it points to a uh, similar to the other debate we were talking about values and conflict. So mm-hmm. again, human autonomy and the right to your own body. So high value and then um, culture and tradition and belonging is also something that people mm-hmm. value. And then the question is, can you have, you know, any, anytime there's values in conflict, you always want to look for the win-win. So is there a way we can have both of those things? Sure. Right. And I think there is a way that people can have culture and tradition and belonging without, holding down a child and cutting part of his body off. Mm-hmm. And, and when that really comes into play is when you uh, see that taken to its logical conclusion. So just this month, there's a case in New York where a moil, a Jewish ritual circumciser, did something called mitzitzah pepeh, which is during the Jewish ritual circumcision. There's a particular way it's supposed to be done. There's a particular person who's supposed to do it. And there's a number of prayers that you say. And in the Orthodox tradition, there is something where after the circumcision is done, the moil, the ritual circumciser, puts his mouth on the child's genitals and sucks the blood out. And in New York, this was done uh, by someone who, who multiple, it's been happened multiple times now, who gave the child herpes when they did that. Oh, gosh. And it resulted in the death of a child. And when the New York Health Department came to them and said, hey, could you not? Like, could you maybe don't do that or at least have them sign a waiver that says this might be a possibility. Uh, the Orthodox Jewish community basically said, no, that's our religion. You can't mm-hmm. regulate religion. Sure. Um, 
And in those cases, I, I think most people would be naturally disgusted by the idea of an adult doing that to a child. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, which is the bigger violation, the, the mouth or the knife and the blade? Mm-hmm. To me, they're both things that are crossing that child's boundaries. Mm-hmm. But because it's framed in culture and tradition and religion, it's sort of given the pass. Whereas if that was to happen in any other context, someone would go to jail. Mm-hmm. So I, I would be curious to hear your perspective on that. And I know we're getting to like very controversial territory. So. Yeah, sure. No, that's, that's fine. It's the podcast is called real talk with Zuby Cause I don't right. like to, I don't like to shy away from, uh, from anything. You know, I saw you were yeah. reading that book, how to have impossible conversations. So yeah. we're, we're hitting, <laughs> we're, we're hitting a whole bunch of them. Cool. It's a, it's, it's a good question. Um, I think that the, I mean, to me, the, how would I put it? It's not something I've really, that particular thing you mentioned. I think, yeah. I've, I think I've vaguely heard of that before, um, mm. where I'm from in my culture, that's not a part of the procedure. Right. Um, so it's not really something I, I've, I've thought about. I mean, in that particular situation, like I said, I mean, if, you know, that that's an extreme case where the, where the child actually got an infection and died, which is, which is horrible. And I, I imagine anyone, regardless of their perspective would think that that is, that result is awful. Yeah. Um, in terms of the part of the procedure, I mean, it's a, it, it's, it's a complicated thing, you know, because religions and cultures and traditions, I don't even think it's just, I mean, religion isn't necessarily totally unique in this. You could extend it more to cultures and, and traditions, right? Where there are all throughout history, all across the globe, you've had different groups of humans, different tribes who practice really, really different stuff, which is, which is framed differently. And from any one perspective, trying to understand it as an outsider can be nigh on impossible. It requires an incredible, incredible degree of empathy and open-mindedness. I, I often try to explain this to people. I'll, I'll get back to exactly what we're saying, but as someone, for example, who grew up in Saudi Arabia, which is a country where they do things, you know, the Saudi Arabian culture and tradition and laws and way of doing things are very different to somewhere like the USA or somewhere like the UK. And if you try to view one through the lens of another one, you'll end up with a lot of things that don't make sense. If you try to look at stuff mm. in, in the UK or the US from, you know, a Saudi or kind of wider Middle Eastern perspective, there's a lot of stuff that people do here that would blow people's minds. They'd be like, why, what on earth are they doing? And very similarly, if you view a country like that through the Western lens, you can look at it and be like, oh my gosh, what are, what are, they, what are they doing when it comes to, to certain aspects? And it's hard to know what is... Uh, I don't know what is ob- objective, right? I think there are, there are certain things. There's a lot of stuff that I think is, to me anyway, is black and white. I am a believer in objective morality to a degree. And then there's some stuff which becomes kind of gray. Hmm. It's, uh, it's, it's a tough one to answer, to be honest with you. It's the Orthodox Jewish community that does that. Yes. I don't want to kind of speak 
on their, something totally their ignorant. theology. Or, yeah. Well, what's the what's the idea or thinking or whatever behind that aspect of it? I, I understand the circumcision in itself. I understand the reasoning for that, giving the uh, teachings in the Torah and Old Testament and whatnot. I understand that. The uh, yeah, the putting your mouth on the genitals part. I don't. I don't know where that comes from. Do you have an idea? I don't know as much about that. The the thing that I had heard in passing was that it was essentially to sterilize the wound. Okay. And that was the sort of the, the stated reason. If if you wanted to go deep into the theology and symbolism, mm. I, I don't know everything about that. And, yeah, and sure. I'm just familiar with the sort of covenant aspect. Yeah. Even that though is interesting in that the covenant aspect is not, a, a lot of people think that it is, the child who is, you know, making a spiritual agreement, but it's actually the parent. And when you go back to the earliest form of circumcision in in the Torah, it was the father who had to do it. Okay. I mean, which you can imagine, you know, if you're a dad, like, congratulations, you have a kid. Now you have to do this or else you're not a member of the tribe anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, a, it's the parent agreeing to essentially sacrifice part of their most valuable thing, which is their, their offspring, their progeny. And that framework isn't really compatible with a modern society in which we see children not as something owned by the parents, but as something separate, a person who can make their own choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, even there, there's like a big value in conflict between those two. But again, that's that's double think on the modern Western side. How so? Uh, re- re- relating it to the the pro choice pro life argument that, uh, that again becomes double think, right? Like because every, every, everything you just said there, I'm like, I agree with you, but people suddenly flip on that when it comes to the other topic, don't they? I can see that. Yeah, mm. that pers- that perspective. Yeah, that that that's that's always the thing with me is it's. You know, I, I, I'm, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a very good conversation to have, and it's, it leads to a whole, bunch of interesting, a whole bunch of interesting questions, which are kind of hard to square in my head. With me, I, I, I feel like it's, the, it's hard for me to get the perspective without that level of consistency, mm. shall I say. So, so for you, it's kind of even hard to accept the intactivist position Unless that's applied across the board to different issues. Yeah. Like I, unless someone, if, if someone is, is pro-life uh, and is, is, is opposed to abortion and then also maintains that position, like to me, that, stri- that strikes me as a much more consistent, yeah. strikes me as a much more consistent line. Because, so Because the framing you're using is for this whole argument, the framing is from the perspective of the child. Hmm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And then when people make pro-choice arguments, they're using the perspective of the framing from the mother or the parents. And then normally they're almost like completely mentally discarding the, the child who is the victim of, of the thing. Yeah. So the switch between the framing mentally uh, causes some like weirdness up there for me. Cause I'm like, wait, hang on. That doesn't, yeah. uh, wh- why, why would it be framed that way for this one? And then you suddenly switch the framing for for that one 
that's that's why it's a it's a tough conversation for me to move on again because if you're talking about the scale of what is actually happening to the child i can i can understand someone saying you know this is a this is a baby we shouldn't do any we shouldn't do anything to them you know physically that can you know cause some pain or cause bleeding or remove a part of their body or anything like that um i i, I can understand that but i don't understand that if it's not all the way through given that one is to me it's like one is very in the grand scheme of things to me i'm like this one is like very very minor whereas the mm-hmm. other is like the ultimate worst thing you can do to yeah the baby you see what i mean that that's I, my i see yeah so it's so, a hard one for me to kind of move on i hesitate the part of the challenge in answering that is that in the intactivist movement there are actually a lot of people who are pro-life yeah sure i'm, I'm sure there are and it's hard for me to but there's a lot of people who aren't. And so intactivism is in a lot of ways a sort of a strange coalition Mm. in that there's a lot of different ideological and social groups that feel like children should be protected Mm -hmm. and like we shouldn't hurt children and that this procedure is unnecessary and harmful. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there are groups that are kind of at odds with each other. So I know in the movement that there, I mean, there's one group that's basically like, I think it's like Catholics against circumcision. Um, there's little images, which is a very Christian organization. And then they're, they're, uh, I think I've got like a pastor on their board. And, um, and at the same time you have groups that are normally at odds with each other on other issues working together on this one. So, I, I mean, I know feminists and men's rights activists who are both working on this issue. And when I say like those groups, I mean like the full spectrum of yeah, those. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I know people who are very, very conservative and very lean very much to the right. And I know people who lean very much to the left. So mm-hmm. just as an example, um, like this film that I made screened at the Social Justice Film Festival, and it also screened at um, the International Conference for Men's Issues, which is one of the largest MRA gatherings. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so virtually any position or issue, you're going to find intactivists on both sides of it because everyone has an interest in, in keeping children safe. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, Sorry. I don't, I don't mean to interrupt. I, I can understand that. I guess what I would say with those, that range of different people is I, me personally, I feel like some of them are, a lot more consistent than others are. I hear you. That's my position because it's like, I'm always just like about, I'm, I try to always just be about sort of intellectual and logical consistency with most things. I know it's, it's hard to do all the time and we all have our own little hypocrisies and things that don't kind of completely square up with each other and, and things like that. Um, but to me, that's just such a, it's like a huge red flashing one. Yeah, I, 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 I try. I'm trying to understand. But yeah, sorry, carry on. I feel like I interrupted something. I mean, that was that was the uh, main point of it. One of the you know, this is part of the challenge of these issues is that on the one hand, uh, they're very simple on the level of abstract principles, right? Like mm-hmm. people have the rights to their own body. Don't hold down a baby and cut part of their body off. Mm-hmm. Like if, if I absent the word circumcision or the social context, if I told you I made a film that said like, you shouldn't cut parts off of babies, you'd be like, 
well, yeah, obviously. Like, why do yeah. you need to make a film about that, dude? Yeah, sure. Um, but the difficulty is that culture and identity doesn't always conform to that. And one really interesting uh, person I interviewed in the film was a woman who came from Sierra Leone, or her, her family was there. Mm-hmm. Um, she was born and raised in the United States and went back there when she was uh, in college and had female circumcision done. Okay. And she makes all the same, she makes all the same arguments American men make. She says, I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. I'm healthier. I'm cleaner. It's my culture. It's my tradition, my sex life. You know, she even says like her sex life is better afterward. Okay. Um, and it's interesting because when I show that to Americans, first of all, they're shocked. And then second, they say, well, maybe she's okay with it, but she did that as an adult. Mm-hmm. And so she should have had a choice. Yeah. And that's kind of the argument that activists are making around male circumcision in America. Mm. And I can understand, I, I understand the mindset of someone who would want to do that as an adult, as a symbol of their culture. Sure. Um, people, it, it fits a lot of circumcision rituals when they're done in coming of age traditions fit the profile of what you might call hazing. You know, we're going to do this really brutal, intense thing, but you have to go through that in order to belong to the group so that belonging to the group has some social value because you've paid such a high price of admission. Mm -hmm. The difficulty is when that's applied to an infant or a child and like, that doesn't have the same meaning and they might not have chosen to, you know, or when, when it's framed, um, as like your family and your tribe, isn't going to love you unless you've had this done. Like Mm -hmm. that's the other, even when I see it at like, you know, in some cultures, it's like age six, it's like, uh, you know, at how much agency do you have at six? And like, can you you really say no to your family? Yeah, I think, you know, this brings up, this brings up, you know, a lot of interesting wider issues, which is, I think, kind of expanding the, the conversation a little bit. Let me throw, throw an idea out here. I think one thing that makes stuff like this really complicated based on, I guess, both geography and culture and religion and things like that is that I think it's important for people on on all sides, wherever they sit on this debate or other issues, is to understand that the the hierarchy of values in different countries and cultures is different. Mm. So in the Western world in general, especially somewhere like the US, the idea of individual freedom, liberty, and autonomy is I'd say the apex, really. That's Mm. kind of what America is founded on. However, in a lot of other countries, particularly in parts of Africa or the Middle East or Asia or perhaps even South America, that is not the ultimate value. Right. Right. So based on the sort of American framing, that totally makes sense but you might have another society or another culture or another tribe where they they much more value um group i group identity or belonging to a collective or following certain mandates or dictates those things massively override the idea of 
personal bod- bodily integrity or autonomy, for example. So in that, so in, in the sort of Western modern framing, it makes sense. But then in the other one, it, like they, they both, they both make sense. The sort of deeper question is almost like, mm-hmm. oh, well, which of these, if we have a, a, a totem pole of yeah. things that we think are important as a society, and we've got these 10 things, should liberty be, should it be at the top? I mean, th- this, this goes into wider issues, much wider issues. You could talk about this when it comes to the laws, yeah. regard, the laws regarding drugs and alcohol, or the laws regarding certain uh, sexual behaviors that like, there, there's a lot of stuff that this goes into. And I find that oftentimes, especially when you have people from different cultures trying to have these conversations or understand each other, I think it sort of falls at that first hurdle of assuming that their top value is the same as your top value, whereas right. it, it's actually it's actually not. They care more about the tribal belonging and certain aspects of a religion or a traditional cultural code than the idea of personal freedom or something like that. Does does that? What do you think of that? I so appreciate you bringing that up because I think that that aspect of the issue is what's kept me interested in it for as long as I have. Mm-hmm. That this, I think, one issue which in the media is presented in such a surface way actually reveals everything about your values and identity and what you consider most important. And, you know, I'm really glad that we're talking about it because very often the conversation in the media around it is like a soundbite. Like, I think it looks cleaner or I like it. And it's like, like, what are your values? Like, what, what, how do you, you know, how do you, what, what values do you want to impart to your children? Like what's most important in your culture? It actually gets at all those questions. And I, I often use the human rights framework because that is sort of the most understood value system in Western culture. But I think you could make an argument within the framework of tribal belonging around the question of, okay, like if you accept the frame that every tribe and culture has certain practices and that they have the right to institute those practices on their children, whether those children want to or not, Mm -hmm. and bring the children up within that culture, then you actually have a question of, okay, well, what are our values as a tribe? Mm. Like, what is it we want to teach our children? And that is almost uh, the the idea that tribes and cultures could change is a question that I think a lot of people don't even explore because when the question of circumcision comes up, if someone's considering banning it, it feels like it's an attack on the tribe or culture Mm -hmm. rather than the question like, well, what kind of culture or tribe should we be? Mm-hmm. So going back to Judaism, I know a lot of people involved in the intactivist movement who are Jewish, who practice something called Brit Shalom. And, and Brit Malah is this Jewish naming ceremony with cutting. Mm-hmm. And Brit Shalom is the Jewish naming ceremony without the cutting. Okay. So the idea of it is, you know, they still want their Jewish identity. They still want belonging in the tribe. They mm-hmm. still have the same religious and cultural values. What if we had those values without the cutting, without, you know, maybe the guest of honor at this naming ceremony. Mm. And 
that has made a lot of progress in the Jewish community because if you talk to a Jewish person and, and you say, you know, I think that this is awful and you should stop, that feels like an attack on their identity and very oh, yeah. threatening. Yeah, and also because you're you're not the authority to that person, especially right. Yeah, like I don't I don't have cultural authority there. Yeah, so. exactly. I mean, they're like, no, this is the word of God, and there's no, yeah. there's absolutely nothing that is above that. Yeah. So from someone again trying to empathize and come from that perspective, myself being a Christian, it's a little bit different because I think in in Christianity there's more there's more wiggle room on there because you've got the you've got the New Testament yeah. and that's part of the New Testament I think in in Galatians where it's specifically said that you know it's not the act of circumcision in itself that's really the most important thing. So you've kind of got a, a range. I mean, I imagine that, with, like you said, within Judaism, there's a range of ideas around there. But I know in Christianity, it's more explicit in the text that it can be interpreted in multiple ways. So you'll have some Christians who want to do the circumcision. You'll have others who don't. And they've kind of got some backup in the text saying, OK, you don't yeah. have to do this as long as your beliefs are right. Right. Christianity is interesting because I think a lot of Christians will say it's in the Bible and and then the debate becomes over the authority of the Bible, which of course no Christian is going to say it. This is not it's not the word of God, right? No. But if you you know, like I mentioned, Little Images is a really great group on the um, looking at Christianity and circumcision. And if you look at what the New Testament says and say, okay, well it's in the Bible. What does the Bible actually say about it? Mm-hmm. Um, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Uh, says that it's a basically uses the word mutilation to describe it and says that it doesn't benefit Christians. Um, what he says is that what matters is what, whether or not you have faith mm-hmm. and that, you know, it's faith that defines whether or not you're saved, not trying to keep the whole of the law. And, and even then the role of circumcision in the, the, the old Testament or the Torah um, is not something I think a lot of Christians understand. So, you know, you, you say, well, you don't have to keep the law, but most Christians go, well, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in the law. This, you know, e- even though um, Christ would be willing to save someone who is a murderer or uh, a thief or something like that, it's still not a good idea to do those things, yeah, right? Yeah. And so, you know, you say, well, you don't have to keep it. It's like, but I probably should, right? As much as possible. But the role of circumcision in Old Testament law is a little different. Mm-hmm. So circumcision in in Genesis is presented as a, a blood covenant. So the idea being that in the the older system before Christ has come, people would perform sacrifices of some kind to atone for their sins. Mm-hmm. And so there were sacrificing animals at the temple, and then they were also sacrificing part of their male children. And so that has a different meaning in Christianity because if you are performing circumcision for a religious reason as a Christian, mm-hmm. then it would be similar to if you did an animal sacrifice in that you're sort of saying that maybe Jesus's sacrifice wasn't enough and you have to do this other sacrifice. So from a religious perspective, it doesn't make sense in Christianity and all of the medieval church and the church fathers didn't practice it. Mm 
Mm. In fact, that was the big thing that the Apostle Paul said is like that faith, it was faith alone. And he was very much, you know, you could make an argument too that in the early church, you know, doing this procedure um, in a time where there's no pain relief of any kind would have been very unpopular for converts. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said, you don't have to. Now, it's also in there that um, it doesn't matter if you are, you know, what, what matters is your faith. Mm-hmm. But as far as doing it to your children, there's an argument to be made that that would be essentially a, a, a denial of faith in Christ of saying like, well, we still have to do this other sacrifice because maybe Jesus wasn't enough. Mm. My, my understanding um, is that it's more from less the sacrificial perspective, as far as I'm aware that most people, I think in a modern sense would do it. I think it's more of the idea of separating mm-hmm. themselves from other, from other people. Um, I, I think that that's also a key part of how it was described in the old testament as this is that was specifically for jewish people like look okay these are all the other people of the world this is part of how you will behave and segregate and separate and recognize yourselves i think that's um would i be be accurate in saying in judaism that's the one of the main it's yeah it's definitely one of the functions Mm -hmm. and part of the challenge of understanding it is that different cultures and even the same culture in different time periods or different people are going to frame it differently. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, if you asked 20 Americans why they say the pledge of allegiance, you're going to get 21 different answers. Right. Yeah. Even though it's like this shared cultural tradition that children have to do in school. Um, and that's going to be true of every tradition in every culture that people will have slightly different reasons as to why they're doing it or why they think it's done. Mm. So in Judaism, in the original text, it's a sacrifice, but it does have other functions or aspects in the culture, depending on the time period. Because again, you're talking about, you know, like 3000 years of history. Sure. So there's going to be different perspectives on it at different times. Uh, one of, and one of the ones that uh, activists talk about is uh, Moses Maimonides, who's a uh, rabbi who who basically said explicitly it's to reduce sexuality and sexual pleasure that like that is somehow you know we don't want people to focus on the carnal we want them to focus on God so reducing that is the purpose mm-hmm. and I don't think that that is the perspective in all of Judaism or even maybe even most of it mm-hmm. but like that's what I mean by it's you talk to different people in the culture and one will say well it's just to separate us from other peoples and someone like him would say well it's to reduce sexuality and then in the original text it's done as the sacrifice um it's part of the challenge of when you're talking about culture is that you know I think people have the idea it's all one thing but it's as many different things as the people in that culture yeah it it really is you've got you can split it so many ways and then even within those divisions even even with religion itself right you you can take Judaism and then you've got these different branches and then within those branches you've got more same with Christianity same with Islam in fact some of the some of the most divisive and uh historically aggressive lines towards each other are within those same religions right you know you've got uh in islam you may have uh what is it sunni and shia and you know lots of the fighting and the terrorism and the wars and whatever are between them 
between Protestants and Catholics, especially in the past, not so not as much now. You've had a lot of fighting and killing based along those things. And you know, it's like you're all you're all Christians. Like what are you, <laughs> what are you doing? Right. But, but but it just shows how the you know, it kind of comes back to that idea of human beings just being tribal ultimately. You know, we, we we're tribal in a lot of different ways. I just think that's something that's part of we're just wired in our biology and DNA and how those tribal lines are divided, whether that's religiously or geographically or politically or racially or whatever. Humans have an incredible way to focus on what is different between us rather yeah. than uh, rather rather than the commonalities. I mean, you can go to a you can go to a country where people almost all look the same. And even then, oh, the people in the East don't like the people in the South or that tribe doesn't like that tribe. So yeah, it's one of, you know, I think we've gotten a lot better at it in the grand scheme of things, but uh, there's, there's, still a, there's still a way to go. You know, I, I always say, I think the best thing you can do is try to, make the, try to make the tent as big as possible to include as many people as possible and hopefully have the, have the divisions that exist along lines that don't lead you to uh, wanna hurt or kill each other. You know, if people, two people wanna support different football teams and shout at each other and argue like, that's all good, but like, just don't club each other. Don't club right. each other over the head or shoot each other because one of you likes the yellow team and one of you likes the green team. Like, that's just silly. Part, part of the challenge of this issue is that it is a conflict between, um, the, the values that essentially keep the peace between different groups. That's true. In the sense that, you know, I think human rights law and that as a concept was created in some way to avoid tribal conflict of like, okay, well, we might have different beliefs, but we're going to have, you know, freedom of speech and freedom of religion and everyone can have their own belief or system mm -hmm. or group that they're a part of and we'll, we'll coexist around that. And part of the challenge of this issue is, uh, you know, if someone says, I don't want you to do that to my body and you say, but that's my tribe. Mm. Like now those two are in conflict. Exactly. Um, and, and, and it's the same thing too in cultures that practice female circumcision, you know, they, they'll sort of quick to point, well, you guys have this practice you do. And there's people who are upset about that. And we have our practice we do. And there's people who are upset about that. Yeah. And, and, and it, you know, when talking to those people, the place they're willing to meet is age of consent. They say, okay, mm -hmm. well, can we just do it when they're older, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a fair point. So, so t tying this all up, I mean, in terms of your, your personal goal or perspective, I mean, what would you think? Okay, let me ask two questions, I guess, both for the... USA as an American, and then on a wider global level, what do you, like if you, if you could look into the future and things kind of go the way you would, you would want them to go or, or you think they should go, what would be the, what would be the situation? Would it just be that you'd think there should just be a certain age of consent? Would you like it? I, I don't know. I don't know what the question is. Do you think that it should be, do you think it should be illegal? to do it to a child? Do you think it should be parental discretion, just not something that's done by default? Do you think there should be an age of consent? How do you, what do you think it's, that should look like? So part of the challenge of answering that is before anything could happen, you have to change culture. Yeah. Like 
you you were mentioning uh, abortion earlier. Part of the challenge there is that there was a, a legal ruling on that issue, mm-hmm. and the culture is still split on it in a lot of ways. Yeah, agreed. Uh, similarly, I think on this issue, you know, there's the possibility for a legal ruling. I've heard a lot of people argue that it's basically already illegal under um, human rights law and the laws we have around consent. If someone was to do that to you as an adult without your consent, it would obviously be seen as sexual assault or battery or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but before you could make any change like that, you have to change culture. Um, and so my, my goal isn't necessarily any particular legal change as much as to make the conversation happen. And that's part of the reason I really appreciate this is that very often on this issue, the conversation doesn't happen. Um, because, you know, even having a conversation, like when you, when you, when someone's values feel threatened, then their defenses come out. Of course. And so even having the conversation is challenging. And I think it's really challenging too for, for both sides, even for the people who are affected by it. So if I tell you that, you know, as a child, someone touched my body without my consent, absent the word circumcision, most people would acknowledge that's really painful and traumatic and awful. And at the same time, if you, someone shares that and then the other person says, well, what do you mean? Like your feelings are invalid. You should be fine with that. It's normal. Um, you know, why are you dishonoring your tribe and family by even talking about this? Like mm. that's also really threatening. And so it's, it's part of the challenge for activists working on this, uh, is, you know, they're already up against so many different things in terms of trying to start this conversation, but they're also up against, you know, their own trauma and the feelings that they have around that. And the fact that even when they try to share it, people are very sort of quick to invalidate those feelings or even accuse them of things and suggest that somehow the only reason they want to even talk about this is to attack my tribe or my belief system. Yeah. Well, um, I, I try, I try to distance myself from that, you know, as, as a podcast host and someone who has a lot of conversations and does a lot of interviews with yeah. on any issue and someone who, you know, I, I pride myself on, doing my best to certainly be willing to have almost any conversation and be willing to not get tied up in my own emotions or personal identities to the point that, you know, it, it gets, just gets dragged into the mud and people start shouting at each other. And, you know, I, I, cause I, I, I have the ability to separate my beliefs from myself. So if someone challenges my, my religious beliefs, my political beliefs, my wh- whatever it is, I don't, I don't view that as a personal attack, which, which is the problem. A lot of people mm. don't seem to be able to separate those things, right? If someone, if I'm talking to a staunch atheist and they've got lots of criticisms of Christianity or religion as a whole or whatever, I'm, I'm I can, I'm cool to have that conversation. We can disagree. I'm not going to, as long as, you know, we agree, okay, you're not going to just call me stupid and be insulting and I'm not going to call you stupid and be insulting. And then we can actually find out where we have some common ground and, Lo and behold, on most issues, you will find that there's quite a lot of commonality if you can keep it out of the weeds. What it will normally come down to, like we've been talking about, is a, a difference in the, not even just the values, but the, the weight of mm-hmm. different values. That's normally what things boil down to. That's what a lot of disagreements boil down to. 
what if you can kind of get okay these are the facts if you can at least agree on the honest truthful facts and then it's like okay well i think this one is more important someone else may think it leans more that way someone else you know and so but at least yeah i mean conversation is important and that's why I'm, i'm very happy to have this conversation i think it's it's important to think about all all of this stuff you know it's it's very easy to just go about our lives and yeah, it, it's, it gets messy thinking about stuff like this, especially when it's something that's a little bit taboo. This isn't something you'd want to go to a dinner party and, you know, bring up, bring up as a... Oh, I, I would, but I'm <laughs> crazy in that way. It's sort yeah. of unavoidable for me. I go to an event and people are like, so what do you do? And I'm like, oh, yeah. here we go. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's a, it's a strange convo to have off of the bat, but... um. Yo, man, it's been it's been really, really good talking to you. Where can people uh, check you out and more importantly, check out your work and your film? So the film is at circumcisionmovie.com. Uh, and I am online at brendanmarada.com and I'm on all social media at bdmarada. Awesome. I so. will put those links in the description of the podcast. Cool. Brendan, thank you so much for coming on the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. I think it's been an enlightening and fascinating discussion. Thank you, yeah. You've absolutely lived up to the name Real Talk. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. Take care. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.